0: Hey Church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just, it's supplemental, and man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached, Uh, but but also we don't wanna be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person. Uh, One Sunday, if you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus. and, And we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love His church well, so welcome to Rest.
1: Good morning, Rest Church. Good morning. I want to start off this morning and um, say thank you first and foremost uh, to all of our volunteers. There was over 48 volunteers from Rest Church last night that helped us pull off our first host of a concert. So thank you to everyone. They'll get my mic worked out here in a second, but um, for all you folks who did volunteer last night, I know we're all operating on about three hours of sleep. You're still not allowed to fall asleep during my message this morning, Um, uh, but another thing I want to say this morning is um, I want to say happy anniversary to my wife, 13 years today. Yeah, in case you know, she's the real rock star of our family. Um, And if you've been around our family, you know that is a fact, and I'm not just giving you a platitude. This morning, if you would open in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 16 and 17 as we push away from week 31 in the book of Romans, when in Romans. Yeah, yeah, as we as a church have went verse by verse, word by word through the book of Romans for the last 30 plus weeks, and we plan to be here for at least the next two years. Um, so if you're a first time guest with us this morning, you say, man, I love to get deep in the word. Welcome to your church. Um, so as we push off this morning, I'm going to start by reading the scriptures, Romans chapter four, verses 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to death and calls into existence things that do not exist. Church, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would manifest this word in our body this morning, in this place of worship, that God, that you would call into life things that are dead, that you would in us call into existence things that do not exist today. May through your word you reproof, you rebuke, and you correct us. May we give you the latitude to God to mold and soften our hearts. And may you move in this place today as we come to celebrate resurrection life from death to life in this body today. We thank you in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're in this place, we're in a very transitional text here in Romans chapter 4. And I would be kind of remiss because of how many visitors we have today because of Baptism Sunday for me to just plow through and to not kind of give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background. And as we come to Romans 4 and as we move and journey into Romans chapter 5, what we're going to find is a lot of discussion about Abram, Ham. The guy formerly known as Abram. And, and who is Abraham, you might say? Maybe you say, hey, I, I'm not a church going dude. Who's Abraham? You're, I mean, it sounds like a country ham. No, it, he, he's a real dude. He's the first Jew to ever be in existence. He was called out of literally nowhere. God uh, uh, calls him. Who is, who's living as a pagan during the time of God's call on his life, and he speaks to him and says, I want you to obey, and I want you to follow me, and, and go to the land in which I will show you. Go to the land of Canaan. That will be the promised land. This man, Abraham, formerly known as Abram, until God changed his name at the covenant when God chose Abraham and his descendants, his future descendants, to be his people, to be his tribe. God changes him from that blessing that we will talk about this morning to Abraham. And Abraham is probably the most polarizing figure in all of the world's existence, maybe even more so than Christ. Because what we find is Abraham is, is the foundation of three separate religions. Abraham is the crux of where most of the Middle East fighting has lived for thousands of years. Abraham is the father, or three folks call Abraham the father of their faith, so to speak. Christianity, we do. It's kind of the grassroots of us. Second of all, Judaism calls Abraham, the father of their religion, and then lastly, Islam calls Abraham the father of their religion. Um, All three of us descend on this particular blessing that we're going to talk about today. This blessing all comes and, 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 and descends on this promise, and all three religions point to this promise that we will discuss today. Last week, As Pastor A.B. unpacked verses 13 through 15, and and I've got to read that to give you a little backstory to understand the context of our scriptures today. Verse 13, I'm going to read that for you. It'll be on the screen. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This promise is established by what church? Faith. Faith. For it is, if it is, hears to the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, one of the main points that we discussed last week, and we will carry over into this week, is this: Church salvation comes from God's gracious promise, and not from our good performance. Amen. We don't have to rest on our loyals. We don't have to rest on our ability to carry out the law for us to obtain salvation. It comes from God's gracious promise. And here's one thing that we can know, and you sang a lot about it this morning, is God is a promise keeper. We can take his promises To the bank. He is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And and what we saw is that God didn't say to Abram, God didn't say to Abraham, obey the law and I will bless you. Rather, he said this, believe, say believe, church, believe and I will bless you. Abraham or Abram was blessed because of his faith. And the same is true and the promised covenant of the New Testament. The promised covenant is for all who would have faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. And not just singularity in the nation of Israel, but many nations. That this would be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That we would be saved by faith. And here's what we must understand before we push away. We are saved by faith, but it is not our faith that saves us. Our faith is only merely the conduit that connects us to the power source, which is the righteousness of Christ. We are saved because of the righteousness of Jesus. We did nothing. We brought nothing to the party. It required the Holy Spirit's movement in our hearts to give us the faith to surrender our lives to Jesus. It is all, say all, Jesus. Yeah, I can take that. I can take that. It's all Jesus. Faith doesn't save, but the righteousness of Christ saves. We receive the righteousness of Christ by faith, by faith. And so as we open up our text this morning, what we see is Paul is pulling together kind of multiple big Christian theological terms. That if you haven't spent a lot of time in the church, you haven't necessarily wrestled with these terms and what they mean. And so I want to give you kind of a, a starter definition pack, you know, kind of your onboarding here into rest today. And, and the first term we see is says, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. So what is grace? What is grace? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. It is the unmerited or undeserved favor of God. And so then we have to wrestle with what is faith? And and I have to parse out these two things because you have your general faith. All of you right now are practicing faith. Every preacher who's you've ever heard talk about faith, they always bring up a chair, myself included. You're all practicing faith because you believe in these, these very expensive luxury chairs that you're sitting in. But there's a difference between the faith that's being spoken about here and the faith that you're practicing. The faith spoken about here is a saving faith. What is that? This is the knowledge of faith. The trusting in and the commitment to follow Jesus. That's it's it's a it's a little bit of a difference, but it's 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 not just your general hey yes I believe, but it is the full committal of your life. And so when we surrender to Jesus in saving faith, we're taking all of us, putting it in all of Him, and saying hey man, fill up this car, take it wherever you want. I'll get in the trunk. I'm not even gonna sit in the passenger seat because I know I'll do a lot of backseat driving. I know I'll be saying Jesus, no, we need to go there. I need you to do this. No no no. Saving faith is essentially saying God, I relinquish control of my life to you. And so those two together, we see that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise, we're going to hold promise, may rest on the grace. What is this promise? It is salvation. It is the salvation that comes from Jesus. And in, in doing such, our faith, grace through faith, brings about justification. It brings about justification. We talk about this a lot as we went through Romans. What does justification mean? Easiest way to remember this is just as if I never sinned. Justification means that you are declared to be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. To be made right with God, just as if you have never sinned. So why is Paul bringing all of these points together? And, and I'm bringing all this up, all these definitions. You're like, man, I didn't, I didn't sign up for, a, for a, um, a seminary lecture today. I, I get it. Just, just bear with me. The point is simple. God is gracious and salvation is a gift of his grace. In God's grace, he makes promises we receive by faith. Therefore, check this out, the promise comes and can only come by faith so that it may be by grace. Because saving faith is trusting in the promise of God. Salvation comes to us as what? What does what verse 16 say here? Throw up verse 16 for me again. It says that salvation comes to us that it may result in grace and be what, church? Come on, come on. That it might be guaranteed. Since it relies on God's promise and not our obedience, it is guaranteed. I want you to let that soak in. If you confess Jesus as Lord, the promise can never be nullified. Once it's been ratified by God, by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says that almost like a letter being delivered to another kingdom that has been stamped by the king, you have the spirit seal on your life. You are guaranteed to be delivered to heaven, amen? So the promise of grace is that you, you can't do anything to earn it. So you can't do anything to lose it. Thereby, you are guaranteed through the promise, through your salvation, because it depends on Christ and not you. Come on, that's an Amen. Y'all better wake up, people. Salvation comes from God's gracious promise and not our good performance. Salvation comes from God's gracious promise and not our good performance. What is Paul getting at here? Come back to verse 16. The promise is for all of his offspring. All of his offspring. The promise or salvation is equally available for the Jew, those who live under the law, or those as Johann taught us multiple times, was circumcised under the law, physically circumcised, or the non Jew, those who are only in the family or of the faith of God by faith according to Abraham. Paul is underscoring that the salvation or this promise is one where both the Jew and the Gentile benefit the gospel of grace unites believers of different cultures together that's what Paul's underscoring because remember who the audience is here in Rome the church of Rome that he's writing to is a 50-50 split between these Gentile um, um, kind of these heathens who have now surrendered their lives to Jesus and are part of the family of faith by their faith and then also the Jews who are Messianic Jews who have converted and are beginning to follow Jesus and they're there to together in this one church, trying to function in harmony together. And Paul is underscoring this, is that this can coexist. Why can this coexist? Because through Christ, Abraham's greatest offspring, all believers are part of Abraham's spiritual family. Our justification by grace alone, through faith alone, can make this a reality. Essentially, it's saying we can strap, we can strip across all the rules and we are united under one thing. What is that thing? The faith of Abraham. We are united in Christ, in the family, under the promise, through faith. Our justification is by grace alone. We have been made clear, just as we have never sinned, by God's grace, his unmerited favor, through faith alone, that can happen. Don't miss this. Your salvation is guaranteed because it did not and does not depend on you. Paul underscores this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not of your own doing, as he says in Ephesians 2.8. But let's not miss the implications here. There's so much more going on what Paul is saying in the second half of this verse, when, when speaking about the co-mingling of the Jews and the Gentiles, he's saying justification by faith is not just a doctrine of individual salvation, it's also a doctrine for community faith. What am I getting at? Believing in Christ brings about belonging. The church is the community of the justified. Just as the text is calling the Jews here to accept the faith of the Gentiles in the early church, we are called as a church to accept those who look different than us. We are called to accept the rich and the poor, the homeless and the broken, the fake and the radical. Because let's, let's be honest, man. We, we as Americans, we're pretty terrible at co-mingling with people who are different than us, right? I mean, the most segregated hour in America is this hour every week. I don't know if you looked around, there's a lot of white people in here. But the reality is, we, not just that, but I, I, I don't know if you've looked around, there's a whole lot of 45 and below in this room right i mean we 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 don't have we don't have a we don't have a ton of folks who are late in their years we don't have a ton of Gen Z because we don't do well co-mingling. And, and that is antithetical to what the gospel is saying here. Paul's saying we are united by our faith. We are all in this together, and so we can coexist. And so, and so the Paul is calling for that church to figure out how to live in community with one another despite their different upbringings. We should all strive to do that, no matter how much messed up it can be at times the bond of believers is eternal church we don't get to break up with the church because the church cannot be separated from Christ I want you to hear this we don't get to break up with the church we don't get to we don't get to say hey I'm done dating you man peace up a town down I'm out like, like we, we don't get to do that. I, I don't see that in the scriptures. We don't, we, don't, we don't see a story in the New Testament where, where, where one of them goes, hey, I'm done, holler, you offended me, can't do this anymore. Like, that, that, that's not here. That's, that, that's not here. Why? Why? Because we are linked to the church. We don't get to break up from the church. Christ came to build what church? The church, he said it. He said it. I came to build the church. So, what makes us think, man, I can break up with this thing? It's not there, it's not in the scriptures. The community of faith that is the church is God's sole plan in the scriptures to reach the world. Notice what the early disciples did in their ministries. They went and they made disciples who did what? Planted churches. The chief aim of the gospel is to go make disciples and to plant churches. Why? Why? Because when we turn our lives to Christ, we need someone to admonish us every now and then. We need someone to tell us, hey man, you're being a real dum-dum. We need someone to say, "Hey man, you're not treating your wife right. Hey, brother, sister, you're not loving your kids right. You're 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 not you're not shepherding as you should." We need that. That is called in the scriptures to admonish one another. So we don't get to leave the church. Now, now I want to make a qualifier. Is the church perfect? No. Not even at all. Nowhere even close. Not even this one. Like if you pull that curtain back, chances are you'll find poop in the corner. I mean, proverbially and literally. The church is broken. But for folks who've been around for a while, they'll remember what might be my most infamous message I've ever preached One Sunday I brought up here a garden hose and a wheelbarrow and some some shovels and talked about what does the church need? What do we need more of? Poop management. Because the reality is, is the scriptures show us in Proverbs, where there is no oxen, the stable is clean. If we want the harvest, if we want the work to be done to go harvest the field, we have to deal with a little bit of poop every now and then, right? And so the truth is, is we, we, don't, we don't need to act like the ox don't ever poop. We don't need to act like the church is never going to have any problems. We need to expect the problems. When you walk into a church, you need to know there are going to be problems. You need to know that the pastor is a cotton head of niggie muggins. You need to know that. Because that, that's the scriptures. We're flawed, we're broken, and all around this room is imperfect and broken people. But that does not mean we get to walk away from them. That doesn't mean that. And so, so I want to say to you today, man, I, I, if you know about anything about our church, man, we're, the big, we're all about the Big C Church. If it's not here, we don't care, make it somewhere. Be a part of the body of believers because what we know is a community faith leads to believers, lead to belonging. We need tribes of people to challenge and admonish us and to lead us to follow Christ as Lord. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed. Just speaking back, he's like, Paul's looking back to Genesis chapter 17. And, he, and he's trying to build on this thought of the full community of faith. And so by doing such, he cites the original blessing of Genesis. And let's check that out. Genesis 17, 5. This is God speaking to Abram. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of multiple nations. While we sat on the opposite side of this blessing, where we're some thousands of years removed from Abraham, Abraham or Abram was not. He was very much in the thick of it in life. He's old at this point. In fact, he's 99 years old, to be exact. He doesn't have a legitimate heir to his tribe, let alone a kingdom that can lead to many nations. Yet, yet, church, he does not doubt God. In fact, he acts as if God has just written him a certified check that he knows can and will be cashed. Abraham believed in God. What does it mean to believe God? A.B. is going to unpack this some more next week in next week's text. But in short, it means to focus on the facts about God, his past promises that we have seen fulfilled. When we say we believe in God, we believe in God because we know that he is gracious and his promises always come to pass. As I've said to you before, when you can't see the hand of God, trust the heart of God because we know his promises in his scriptures that have been fulfilled. When he makes a promise, it will be done. And so Abraham sets here in this moment when he he doesn't have a son, he doesn't have an heir, he's an old man, and God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make your name great, man. To believe God says that we understand he does not fail. His will is never prevailed over. Abraham understood this. He knew that God was mighty to save, creator of heaven and earth. So why not believe him? Why not believe him? Abraham, my friends, is the perfect practical description of faith. What is that? Faith is not opposed to reason. But it is sometimes opposed to feelings and appearances. Faith is not opposed to reason, but it is sometimes opposed to feelings and appearances. Abraham looked at his wife and his body, and by all appearances, it was hopeless, right? I mean, how many of you have walked up to your grandparents and been like, hey, when are you going to have another? Right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's kind of the, the discussion that's going on here. They're in their late 90s, man. And God's going, hey, I'm going to bless you. You can count on it. And Abraham is, is like the perfect picture of faith. He's like, okay. Like, and God counted it as righteousness. Man, I wish we had more Abrahams in our world. I wish we had more Abrahams who said, man, I can believe in the Father because I know what he says is good. I know what he says will come to pass. This shows us that faith is not simply an optimism about life in general, nor is it faith in one's self. It is the opposite, actually. Faith sometimes begins with this kind of death to self trust. It's this death to self trust. Faith is going on something despite our weaknesses, despite our feelings and our perceptions. Can you imagine being like Joshua? not just Abraham, I'm going to give you another example, but being like Joshua, we see as, as God calls them to move over into the promised land, they come to the Jordan. And what you don't understand about the text a lot of times, just reading in a surface level, is this is in the middle of spring melt. And so the Jordan would have been double the width and in its, in its breadth of it would have been out of the banks. So it wasn't just this simple, because the Jordan isn't necessarily this big, powerful river like the Mississippi River. And so God tells them to take the Ark of the Covenant and to cross over the Jordan. And God says to them, hey, you take the first step. And once you take the first step, I will bless you. I will part the, the waters of the Jordan and you can go across. The same can be said because Joshua takes God at his word and steps into the flooded Jordan. Abraham stands here 99 years old, 99 years young. And he has faith because it's a death to his self-trust. He knows that he himself cannot accomplish what God has called to happen. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's some adult things that they can do. But it's going to take God's supernatural power in their 90s for this manifestation to occur and in so many places in the promises of god it's the same is that we believe that faith is trusting in our abilities when in fact it's shifting the faith off of us and saying god i will trust in you that you are faithful and that you are true that you will carry this out and so i ask you this do you believe in god like abraham do you believe he's good on his promises? You just saying those songs about his promises. Do you believe that he is faithful and true? Who is this God Abraham believed in and that we are called to believe in? Who is this? We get the picture of who this God is in 17b here in Romans 4. He is the God who gives life to dead to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. The reference of bringing to life is, is 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 not some name it claim it word of faith ministry. That's that's not the picture we have here. That's not the picture in the scriptures. No, it is about a very real example. It is it is showing us the dead womb that is Sarah's. That God has has in, in this doctrine of in ex nelio, where it's essentially from nothing, just as God has created the world from nothing, there's nothing in the womb of Sarah. It is dead, it is barren, and God speaks and breathes life into it. He is that God who takes dead things and breathes them into life, who calls from nothing things into existence. The reference is bringing life out of death refers to that womb. God created a nation from this frail, elderly man and woman. Luke beautifully sums this up in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, where he says, by faith, even Sarah herself, Was unable to have children. Received power to conceive offspring. Even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. How did she receive this? Because she considered the one who promised was what? Faithful. Therefore, from one man in fact, from one as good as dead church. From one man who is good as dead came an offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand along the seashore. God not only literally created the world out of nothing, He gave Abraham and Sarah. A child out of nothing. He formed a people, the nation of Israel, out of nothing. And he continues to this day to bring forth spiritual life in every one of you. Every Gentile believer who sits here today out of nothing. We are believers who belong out of nothing. We are those people and it is here that we see the promise is fulfilled. God said that he would make them, uh, uh, he would make Abraham a a father of many nations and we can't just say, oh it's the twelve tribes, no those are twelve tribes of Israel that constitute one nation, but if we look forward to the promise of the Savior that was to come, his greatest offspring which was Jesus. Jesus brought in through the faith of the new covenant promise that all nations all across this globe who would confess in Jesus Christ as Lord, Abraham became under the new covenant the father of many nations. And you are the sons and daughters of Abraham. No matter what position you find yourself in life at today, There's much for you to ponder about in this text. There's much for you to wrestle with in this text. No matter if, if, man, you're cruising with Jesus and it's never been better. And no matter, man, if if you're on your last vapor in the tank. And and you have a plan. You have a plan to end your life today. Or at any moment when it finally you can't take anymore. No matter where you're at. I want to tell you there's much to ponder about in this text around this statement that our God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. When I read this, what do I think? What do I hear? The story isn't over yet. God isn't done with you yet until you've drawn your last breath until the lights are out. He's not done with you yet. His promises are still true. His promises are just as faithful as they were when he spoke them to Abram. His promises are just as true as when he spoke through the burning bush to Moses in the wilderness. He's not done with you yet. Quit looking at the mess that life has for you. Don't look at the wrinkles that are staring back at you in the mirror or on your hand when you look down and say, Oh, my time has passed. No, 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 no. And, and, and don't look at the lack of funds in your bank account and say, There is no way. He's not done with you yet. If you're strung out with addiction, you you can't seem to function until you get your fix, until you get that next draw. He's not done with you yet. If you can't seem to stop pulling out your phone or your mobile device and seeking to look at pornography, and you, or you can't put aside your anger and your, your resentment from the things that have happened in you in your life. I want to say he's not done with you yet. We can take him at his word because he is good on his promise. We know this because what we see Paul write in 2 Corinthians 1.20, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation on this particular one. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding what? Yes. With a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. We can take it to the bank because Christ already did it on our behalf. So what are the promises of God? Because I, I don't want to just sit here and, and say this and you walk out with this murky vision of, uh, yeah, 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 promises, woo! What, what does that mean? Let me start by telling you what promises are not. The promises of God are not like a Starbucks drive through speaker. They're not where we roll up and we say, ah, Uh, God, I'll take a rocking body, custom-built home, 2.5 children, clean bill of health, and a 401k where in my 70s, I don't have to worry about anything. That's not the promises of God. And any church that tells you that that is, that tells you, man, if you just have enough faith, you can have this. If you just sow enough seeds, you can have this. Run away from them run as fast as you possibly can that's heresy because the reality is man if you look at the apostles life there's nothing about word of faith that's going on there nothing nothing the more they were obedient the more they were whipped the more they were obedient the more their lives came closer to death and what does the scripture say about them that the world was not worthy of them and so the promises of God is not your Starbucks drive through It's not this place where I'm going to go get what I want. The common mistake is people confuse promise with principle. This is what I want you to understand. The promises of God are always, say always, 100% of the time fulfilled always. Principles, on the other hand, state general truths. For example, the book of Proverbs is often mistaken as a book of promises, when in fact, it's actually a book of principles. And I want to bring up a principle that's very hard to say as a father very hard because I want to cling to it like a promise but it's not a promise it's a principle it's Proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way he should go when he is old he will not depart from it it's generally true it's wise that's why my wife and I spent so much time pouring into our kids, setting down and reading the scriptures with them, praying with them, talking to them about loving their neighbor, talking to them about this thing because it is a principle that we must cling to and we must heed. But it is not. It is not. And I wish it was promise. Because I know far too many mamas who have stood at a casket who raised their children faithfully in the scriptures, who who admonished and imparted the good news of the gospel to them only to see them not give their life to Jesus. It's generally true and wise, but it is not a guarantee that every child... Raised with godly destruction, I mean instruction, will become a believer. So it is careful because if we don't, if we don't distinguish and pull apart those things, what it does is it stores up bitterness in our heart. Satan will use that against us. He will say, Don't you know you can't count on God? Don't you know his word says this and he didn't do it. That's what he does he's the deceiver he's twisting and deceiving and, and pulling parents hearts and, and, and essentially causing them to run away from God because they're putting the blame on God but the reality is is we live in a broken world and we are marred by the sin of our father Adam and so it's important that we understand there's a difference between a promise and a principle the second pitfall that we do when it comes to the promises of God is ignore the context. We often apply a promise to ourselves before considering the original audience or the historical, cultural, or textual context. In some cases, a promise was made to a specific person for a specific reason and has no further application beyond its immediate context. We don't get to take some promise in the Old Testament and just wildly apply it to our lives. So maybe you're asking, what are the promises of God? What are some of the guaranteed promises, Pastor, that I can take, that I can know that God has promised? Here are some from the New Testament. He promises to give us wisdom if we ask. James 1.5. He promises to provide a way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. John 10, 28 through 29. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. He promises to finish the good work that he has begun in us. He, you're still a work in progress, but He's not done with you yet. Philippians one six. He promises to come back for His bride. Luke twelve forty. And finally, He promises to give salvation to all who would call Him Lord. The promise of the gospel. Romans ten thirteen for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The good news of Jesus says that if we repent of our sin, we will be free of our sin and shame because God the Father gave it. He imparted it to Jesus on the cross. So if there's one promise that I want to make sure, man, that you don't leave this place today without making sure you have square between you and the Father, it's the promise of salvation today to come to the father to run to the father for all your sin and shame to come lay before the throne and to call out upon the king of kings and the lord of lords because he is faithful and true he is faithful and true he is the same god who calls into life dead things who raised forth jesus christ from the grave he is the same God who calls into existence salvation of all who would put their faith in Him. And, and check this out. He did this while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8 says that He died for us while we were still dead in our trespasses. He saw through the future. He saw through all your mistakes. And He still said, I love you. He willingly took upon Himself the cross. He willingly took upon Himself the sins of all of humanity so that you, might might have life eternal in his name. So I'm going to ask you the question, do you believe like Abraham? Do you have faith in Jesus as Lord? If you know... You've been around here. Sometimes I can be a little old school. And for some reason, man, I, just, I feel like this morning I want to be old school. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head. I'm not going ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to be real with Jesus today. today you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered, and I mean you've never bowed your heart before Him and confessed your sins and asked for Him to be the Lord of your life, I'm going to ask you to do that today. Right here in this space and in this time. And here's how we're going to do it. Here in just a second, I'm going to I'm just going to ask you to stand up. And, and our deacons, our pastor team, we're going we're to grab you and we're going to minister to you. And in fact, I'm going to ask the prayer team, just go ahead and come down here right now. The prayer team will do that. If today you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to come to the promise keeper, the one who you know will never let you down, who will never leave you nor forsake you. Just right now, you can either stand up right where you're at and somebody's going to come to you or you can come down front. But I want to tell you, this is what you can expect in this room. You are not expect any judgment because, man, we, we don't do that here. In fact, what you're going to see is if you respond to Jesus, this place is going to get turned up crazy. They're going to act like, like Kentucky or the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Because we believe that there is a transformational work from death to life and we celebrate that in this place. And so if that's you today, you say, man, I need Jesus. I don't care. I can't do this anymore. I, 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 I've tried it my way, but I need Jesus right now. That's you. Just be strong and be courageous. Just stand up. Just say today, man. You don't have to say anything. You just stand up right where you're at or you can come down front. Anytime. And is there anybody else who'd just be, man, I'm just so courageous? Just say today, man, I, I need Jesus, man. Just, I, I, I know it feels awkward and it feels weird and, and, but man, there's no freedom like you will ever feel through the freedom of Christ. As our band comes up, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you point blank before we transition into this service. Are you believing like Abraham, Christian? Like right now, I, I know some of you, I heard the thoughts in your head. You, you were going, this dude is crazy. Nobody is going to stand up right now. You are a negative Nancy because you don't have faith like Abraham. And I want to I invite you like I'm inviting myself this morning in my truck going to Duncan. Going, I don't have the faith like Abraham. I question all the time, God, you, why would we do that? God, there's a better way. There's a better way, God. No, there's no better way than his way. That just means I'm not on my knees enough. I'm not on my face enough to submit to his will. So I'm going to invite you, man, this morning to make a radical jump and say, I want faith like Abraham. As our band plays Run to the Father, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar, to run to the Father, to spend time with the Father and say, God, give me faith like Abraham. I want to trust in your promise because I know it is faithful and true. I'm going to pray, man. Let's just blow this place up.